Welcome to another episode of Beyond Sermons, where we seek Jesus Christ beyond the pulpit. We're going to continue with our discussion on eternal security, but from a Calvinistic perspective with Jeff Laird. We're going to take a look at Jude. Uh, there's only one chapter, so we're going to take a look at 22 and 23. Yeah. And it says, And you might show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sin that contaminate their lives. Um, just to give my quick two cents on this one, yeah. uh, the parts that, that jumped out for me is talking about people's faith that is wavering. If yeah. you could just comment, what is wavering faith and eternal security? Why are those in the two same sentences? How can I a Christian you- experience, sorry, yeah, eternal yeah. security, but yet have a wavering faith? And then the second follow-up question yeah. is... The people that are being rescued or snatched from the flames of judgment, did they lose their salvation? How did they get there? If you want to throw some comments or context onto those people who are being snatched. Yeah, yeah I think the, with, with wavering faith, I think we've got some context again from Hebrews, where okay. we have the idea of, Israel and Israel as a nation is basically a representation of the Christian as an individual. So you've got Israel is saved and they're taken out of Egypt and then they're brought to a point and God says, okay, here's a thing that I want you to do. Go do that thing. And Israel looks at it and goes, Ooh, that's scary. I don't think I can do that. That's the wavering part that can apply to a saved believer where they, they have the salvation, they have the relationship, But when God says go, they say, ah, I don't know. It's like being in an airplane with a parachute. Mm. You know, you had enough faith to put on the parachute. You had enough faith to get in the plane. And then when they say jump and you go, ah, I don't know if I want to jump. Well, now you're wavering. Yeah. You know, now that's wavering faith. So you're, you're, you're you're just, you're, you're, you've got enough to get to a certain point. You're just resisting. Now, if the plane's going down that wavering faith is going to come with some serious consequences. You better get some in a hurry. Yeah. Right. You need to jump out of that plane. Yeah. Or you're not going to be happy. But I think that's where God brings a lot of us in that mm. same sense. I also think that you can have wavering faith in the sense that you can have people who are sort of on the fence where God is calling them and they're seeing things and hearing things and understanding things. And you, you have these sort of tipping points where a person can be in that moment where they really are grappling with whether or not they're going to answer that call or not. And that's why the things that we say and do matter. You know what? There's a interesting analogy you brought up there. Is there a fence between heaven and hell? I think the better way to think of it is there's a, there's a chasm between heaven and hell. In other words, when we talk about salvation, it's not about being on one side or the other of a line between heaven and hell. It's about whether or not you have the credentials to cross that chasm. Are you referring to the parable of Lazarus and uh, Dives? I think that helps to understand Lazarus, the rich man, where he says, look, there's this huge chasm and you can't, you can't get across it. I, I don't think that we're not, and again, when we speak of eternal security, for example, one of the sort of philosophical or logical problems with believing that you can lose your salvation is that that's a question that comes up 
is, okay, so, so when do I finally accumulate enough sin that I literally cross a line from heaven to hell or the other way around? I don't think that it's, it's a line in the sense that the line is between heaven and hell. The line is just in the sense between am I accepting salvation or not? Got to. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the illustration and the um, parable reference as well, too. Yeah. So for the next one, First Timothy chapter 1, verses right. 19 through 20, it says, Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. But some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As yeah. a result, your faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples I threw them out and hand them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. I'm not yeah. going to say anything. I'm just going to let you go ahead and talk on that scripture. <laughs> this, this one is definitely uh, nerve wracking. I think this speaks to the same kind of warnings that we get from Hebrews and other passages where it says at some point in time, there's going to be consequences for the things that we say and that we do. I think it's interesting when you look at uh, Timothy that again, as I understand it, I don't think that I don't think that he's using the word for apostasy there. And so far as I know, the word that we translate as uh, as a shipwreck, mm -hmm. I think he's talking about something more in the lines of being hard headed. So again, he talks about violating your conscience. Yeah. Uh, Romans 14, 23 says anything that's not from faith is sin. Our conscience matters. It means something. And I think that what happens is when we keep pushing back against this and we resist it, now we're in that category where God eventually says, okay, that's enough. And Paul is doing that by saying, well, they resisted and resisted and resisted and resisted. And now I just have to kind of hand them over to the consequences yeah. of what's going on. Yeah. Um, that verse also, just to highlight, it says your faith has been shipwrecked. You yeah. sort of highlighted it. You brought up the term of apostasy you want to just yeah. clarify that for the listeners yeah there there's a there's a word that we use called apostasy and it essentially means a a falling away uh, uh when a person is apostate it's the person who has completely renounced something that's the person who said that i am done with this i am i am turning aside from this i no longer identify with it i am done i am gone so, for example, the mark of the beast would be an, an act of apostasy, so to speak, because you're saying, I don't want, I don't do. It more formally means somebody who moves from believing something to rejecting that and going the other way. Now, there's an actual Greek word that we get that from, and that word is used in some places in Scripture. This particular one in 1 Timothy, when, when he talks about a, a shipwreck, uh, that is not the term that he's using because he's actually talking about a literal like shipwreck. Okay. So he doesn't say, for example, you know, as a result, you have apostatized. You know, he says your faith has shipwrecked. Uh, and I think that fits in that same context of you've you've damaged it. You've destroyed what it could or could not do. And it's going to ruin what you should have been able to accomplish for God. Right. Um, with a shipwreck, is that usually the Kenton's fall or perhaps the raging seas? I think... One thing we got to do is when we read scriptures, be careful not to read deeper into a parable or an example than it's actually intended. Okay. You know what I mean? So, for example, you know, we could say, well, you know, does shipwreck then mean that, uh, you know, uh, I should have anchored somewhere else or 
how should I trim the sails or how many people are on the boat or what's the spiritual significance? I think the general idea is just the most basic one, which is that, you know, you're, you're going to take something that should be moving in a direction and accomplishing something and you're going to put a hole in it and it's just going to sink. Okay. And you're not going to accomplish that thing that you were supposed to accomplish. Gotcha. Okay. Good stuff. All right. We're going to go back to the gospels. Yeah. Luke chapter eight, verse 13 says, the seeds on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. Hmm. When they fall away, when they face temptation. Yeah. Is that losing salvation? This is one of those verses in scripture that, that generates a lot of controversy. And again, we talked about when you have a parable, you have to be careful not to overread it okay i mean this is one of those parables where the disciples actually say could you explain this parable to us Mm -hmm. and jesus does and he doesn't get into you know little teeny tiny nuances and details and things like that he he gives it an explanation that's pretty straightforward a lot of people look at this and there's four different kinds of seeds there's ones that fall on the path ones that fall on uh you know rocky soil like this there's the ones that fall in good soil and so on and so forth Part of the debate that's over this is, are we looking at two groups that are saved and two groups that are not? Or are we looking at three groups that are not saved and one group that is? And this is the group that's sort of in that debated category. Like, okay, well, what does this mean? Does this mean somebody who's actually saved because they accepted the word and something started to grow? Or is the implication that this is a person who doesn't? I think in in the context of exactly what's being shown, I think Jesus is sticking to the idea of a productive spiritual life. Okay. In other words, when he explains the parable, he explains it all in terms of what kind of produce comes out of those different soils and what happens. That doesn't mean that there is no resonance whatsoever when it comes to salvation. But you can look at a verse like Luke 8.13 and say that what you're seeing is either a person who has that superficial version of faith, that wavering faith, uh, that Matthew, you know, depart from me because I never knew you, even though you said I did this and I did this and I did this. I think you can see a lot of that in a person who is all on board for faith as long as they don't actually have to suffer for it, as long as it doesn't have to mean change, as long as it doesn't mean anything to them. And as soon as it does, well, now they're gone. Mm, yeah. You know, so you can look at it in that sense of saying this is a person who didn't ever really accept salvation because their faith never had any meaningful depth. It was just superficial. Gotcha. But I can respect the person who could look at that and say the other alternative is that these are people who are saved and they never lost their salvation. But what's happening is they're experiencing what happens with the shipwreck of faith or the 40 years in the wilderness or the burning field in Hebrews where trouble comes and because of trouble they don't respond and they just wind up being useless essentially all right so another point of empathy would be another follow-up question here's another scenario a mother or a parent who has a child who's been shipwrecked um and you just see satan's influence over that child's life yeah um what do you say to the parent that praying elder i guess it's it's always good to remember i I like the fact that you you discuss the idea of of looking for 
and understanding hope, because that is such a strong theme of the gospel. I think we constantly see that any person who does want salvation, any person who responds to Christ, finds that salvation. I think the the example of the prodigal son fits into this category. He saw his father's house. He experienced his father's house. He he knew about his father's house, but he clearly never appreciated it. He just said, give me my money and I'm gone. And it wasn't until that prodigal was put in a position of shame and humiliation and personal pain that he said, this is ridiculous. I need to go back and actually appreciate and embrace those things that I had before. And we don't ever know what's going to happen in somebody's life. But I think if you're the parent of a prodigal, somebody who's experiencing that, who's going through this time where they seem to be just totally controlled by the world, totally controlled by Satan, that doesn't mean that there is no hope. Mm. You don't know what's going to happen. God knows, God does. But he tells us that what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to continue to pray and trust. And there are many, many, many people who the world looked at and said, nope, that person is lost and that's the end of it. They will never come to faith who did. So it's it's very difficult to watch your children go through that because you don't know what's going to happen. But yeah. we don't need to despair and say, oh, this means that my child can never or will never come to faith. It just means that they're not right now. Okay. Um, here's another scenario. Yeah. A uh, young lady struggling with same-sex attraction. Mm-hmm. Also believes in, grew up in the church. I'll just start with that. And um, they're ready to just jump into the lifestyle and with the confidence that, you know, they will come back to Christ like the prodigal son did. Um, right. Um, is that a false sense of eternal security? In, in the person who says that in their own mind, in other words, if a person says, I know this is a sin. Not only in their mind, but they expressed it to another individual. I think anytime a person knows for a fact that something is 100% opposed to God, and they say, I'm going to not only do it, but I'm going to embrace it and celebrate it, that reflects that attitude that is not compatible with a person who's truly saved that that does not represent the new creation or born again or a submissive repentant faith in christ it's very very different from a person who says i recognize that this is not what god wants i recognize it's difficult and i am struggling with this thing and i just i i fall and i fail a lot but i'm struggling that's very different than a person who says this is i'm just going to do what i want to do and i guess he'll forgive me because he said he would yeah. That's presuming on God's mercy. That's the person who I don't believe can legitimately say, oh, I'm saved. And I know this is a sin, but because I said a prayer or something, there's again your Matthew, but I did this and I did this. Well, I never knew you. So you know? wouldn't that be like their faith wavering or perhaps shipwrecked? Not necessarily. I, you could look at it that way uh, in some circumstances. And again, here's where we talked about. I can only know my own thoughts and heart. I can only make a very vague idea of what's going on for somebody else. But again, when the Bible says those things, they mean something. You'll know them by their fruits. Yeah. That, you know, people can say and do certain things that reflect what they believe and what they 
don't believe in a person who's cold and deliberate and callous about sin that doesn't represent a person who grasps what salvation is and what it means it's very different from the person who knows and struggles than it is for the person who is just completely without uh any remorse this concludes another episode of beyond sermons where we seek jesus christ beyond the pulpit if you enjoyed this episode and would like to support please visit beyondsermons.com to rate and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. God bless and be blessed to be a blessing.